And we're back! Yes, <laughs> Oh, mate, it's good to be here in the No Property Podcast on a beautiful, beautiful sunny, sunny, newy day. Newy day. We're here, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. Jack Henderson, founder of Henderson Advocacy. Daniel Beadle is here with us. Mate, big, mate. big, uh, big news. Big news popped up Heaps. overnight. Um, so we're talking, uh, we're talking all things the new first home buyer uh, scheme in New South Wales. Um, we're talking manufacturing yield in a rising interest rate environment as opposed to chasing yield to be able to help cash flow uh, these assets. Um, and then towards the end, we're going to run through some uh, common pest and building you know, terms and things that we see in reports that... Uh, you know, potentially scare um, buyers, and in buyers being scared by them, that that gives us opportunity to be able to take advantage of that if you understand them. So, mate, let's not leave it any longer. Let's just dive headfirst straight into it. Just making a straight over the top at the back, you know? at the back. mate. So uh, overnight, <clears throat> I was sitting around the big table there in Parliament House. The boys that are chatting, they've probably got a few schooners by them. <laughs> Couple of cigars, and um, mate, they made the decision to pass the new first home buyer property tax, as opposed to having to pay stamp duty on a purchase. So essentially, uh, you know, every property transaction that you go through, you have a thing called stamp duty. Works out to be about circa four percent of the property value. So on a million dollar property, you're looking at you know about forty grand for this stamp duty. First home buyers now will have the option to either pay the stamp duty up front in full as a, a lump sum or pay a property tax on a yearly basis at a much lower rate. And that rate is calculated at 0.3% of the land value of the property uh, paid yearly. Yeah. Plus, I think they set a $400 levy each year. Something like that, yeah. So it's $400 plus 0.3%. Plus um, so essentially what that means is, you know, for first home buyers now who didn't fall into the other incentives, you know, first home buyers who had too high of an income, for example, first home buyers who, um, you know, didn't want to buy a property under $700,000 to take advantage of the, uh, no LMI and no lender's mortgage insurance. This is New South Wales based, by the way. Um, these people now have, you know, a four-ish percent saving when they buy property. Because I think a lot of people, when they think first home buyer, they think young, 18, 25-year-old, you know, buying their first property. Mm. But the reality is, you know, there's a lot of people who are super career-driven as well and don't actually buy their first property until later in life. Um, and these people still fall into the first home buyer category, even though they're a little bit older. You know, they, they're probably earning really strong incomes. Mm. They're, uh, you know, they're probably focused on their career for the first part of their life. They might have been living overseas. They might have been doing, you know, a lot of other things. And they don't get to buying a property until, you know, they're ready to start a family, for example, have just been renting all the time. Um, so that, a lot of the incentives haven't really helped those people, but they're still first home buyers. Well, I think now... Um, you know, you can spend up to one and a half million dollars, which is a, a strong budget for most areas in, in NSW. Um, you know, we're, we're wiping off the upfront stamp duty, essentially. So on a one and a half million dollar purchase, we're wiping out that $75,000 cost that you would have buying in. Which is um, massive, right? Huge. 75 grand is, is you know, that, that's, that's half of the deposit you could go down with, essentially. That's someone's yearly wage. For sure. It's, it's a lot of dough. Um, and you know we're replacing it now with a very affordable, in my eyes, uh, property tax. And 
Um, you know, we we looked at an example of uh, a 1.34 ish million dollar purchase price, um, a saving of about fifty odd thousand dollars uh, in stamp duty, and replacing that with the land tax or the property tax, um, and holding that property for thirty years, and uh, you would still pay less property tax than you would have. Uh, if you were to pay the upfront stamp duty, so over thirty years holding that property, you're still going to pay less than uh, than, you, than the stamp duty. Yeah, and not to to mention or not to forget the opportunity cost of having to save that extra, say fifty thousand. Mm. Like, how long does that take a, a couple to save fifty grand? Especially if you are living in the, you know the likes of Sydney, which can be quite expensive as we as we both Unless know. Unless you're Nick Feltron, it's not expensive for Nick Feltron. <laughs> Vegemite sandwiches. Just, uh, just on. Let's just let's just cut a little topic out of here. <laughs> this is called budgeting 101. So Nick, who works with us, incredible guy, very high energy, and the most uh, strict budgeter I have ever seen in my entire life. Um, he would put anyone to shame. Mm. I strongly believe that. He lives in Sydney. He works in Sydney, uh, and he lives on 180 dollars a week. He, he lives in a property that he doesn't have to pay rent um, or, or a mortgage. It's unencumbered. But he lives on $180 a week and he still lives a good life. Mate, it's great. It's incredible. He just taps the Henderson card, mate. He just goes, to, mate, the, it's just goes to the cafe with, uh, with Hendo and waits for me to offer him orange juice <laughs> so he doesn't blow him. the budget. But, mate, 180 bucks a week. I reckon that's gold. Mm. What's that? But the, the, the point is, right, the, the, I guess even if you are saving $180 a week, how long would it take you to save 50 grand? Depends to on the what your income was, right? But right. It's, uh, man, it's, it's, it's incredible. So um, I think what this is going to do is really stimulate the 800 to $1.5 million price bracket in, uh, in the New South Wales property market. Because like I said, all the first home buyer incentives up until this point have been sub 800 grand. Mm. Um, and then, you know, they've really been between six and 700,000 to take full advantage of the whole incentive, which is no stamp duty, no lenders mortgage insurance with a 5% deposit. But for a, for a single, you had to earn under 120K. Um, and, you know, if you're a construction worker these days, working 60, 70 hours a week, you're earning more than 120K. Um, you know, for couples, it's 200 grand. So if you're a construction worker and someone working in, you know, a decent job, you don't qualify for that, where now there's no income caps. Um, and you know you can spend up to one and a half but yeah, it's really going to stimulate that end of the marketplace mm. i strongly believe that is there a cap on how many people are, are eligible for this uh no no it's just all first home buyers essentially all for, free for all and i think it's a it, it's it's a strong injection into the marketplace at the right time you know like mm. if this would have come into effect last year it would have yeah, put unneeded time. you know flame on the oh sorry fire on the flame um, where now it's, we're in a marketplace that is, you know, cooling or cooled. Um, and, you know, we need, we need a little bit of stimulation. We need something to encourage mm. buyers to feel confident and, and get into the market. Um, and I think this scheme is, is going to do exactly that, um, both for the established properties and the, the new builds, you know, like the, for people who just want to buy a home to live in and, um, you know, not, not to worry about any, the investing side of things. It's going to be really good for developers as well. So, um, I think it's I think it's great. I'll be uh, I'll be taking advantage of it with uh, with my partner. She's a first time buyer. <laughs> so take my money. I but could like I'd loan her the deposit. And give her a loan. Buy. Put a caveat on. Bob's your uncle. Um, 
Something I wanted to touch on, I got, uh, I did a TikTok on this last night and someone jumped in the comments like, hey, wouldn't it cost me more in land tax over the, the you know, the next 40 years mm. as opposed to just paying the stamp duty up front? And, and another way to look at it is, let's say, for example, you're going to buy a property for a million. The stamp duty was circa 40 grand, but because you've bought in an area and the average growth rate in Australia is 6%, right? 6% on a million, 60 grand. So just for the fact you've bought earlier than if you were to wait you know you, you've, you've saved money you save money and and the reality is you need to look at the average hold time of properties depending on where you're at you know as a different average hold time but let's just hypothetically say the average hold time of all properties in new south wales is about <coughs> 15 years so you work out okay well the reality is this property i'm going to live there for probably 15 years max mm. you know you get a family and brand or whatever else. um so you know what's 15 years worth of the land tax worth the property tax it's worth 20 grand what stamp duty worth 40 grand like the example that i give at the start was you could you could was a 1.35 million dollar purchase stamp duty was around about 50 grand like i said um it would take 30 years of the property tax and you would still not make up the whole stamp duty your for that year for 1.35 million would be 4,000 in land tax times how many years no it wouldn't be four thousand because it's based on the land value oh, the land not value. the yeah, whole yeah, value, value of the property so you know on a 1.35 million dollar property you might have a land value of 300 grand let's say 500 grand yeah so you would do 0.3 percent of 500 times plus 400 dollars times 0.3 percent is 1500 yeah so you got you got how many years we doing that for so 15? We'll, we'll work it out what's the stamp duty on 1.3 what do you was it a 1.35 so the the land tax you'd pay if the land value was five hundred grand is one thousand five hundred. Yeah. And let's say you held that. And that's on what on a five on a one point three five million dollar purchase. Purchase with a five hundred thousand dollar land value. Stamp duty on one point three five would be about fifty grand. Yeah. So divide fifty grand by that number, and that's how many years it would take you to do it. Fifty grand divided by one five zero zero. 33 years. There you go. So you can own the property for 33 years before you would actually pay it back. It's a no-brainer. But then you've also got all that money. You know, let's hypothetically say you you bought a property and you say and you, and you had the money there ready for stamp duty. Mm. But then you said, okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do the land tax. Then you use the fifty odd thousand dollars to then do a renovation to the property. That fifty thousand dollars then adds a hundred to hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of value to the property, and all of a sudden it's irrelevant. So, um, there for me, it's a no-brainer. Like, why would you pay the upfront? land tax just doesn't make sense um few things on that this is only a uh a thing if you're a first home buyer if you sell the property the future buyer for that property pays stamp duty just like they normally would so it doesn't pass over to the next owner Um, they have been talking about getting rid of stamp duty and you know Mm. putting this in and i think this is them trialing it Um, but at the moment if you as a first home buyer you have the property tax but then you on sell the property um, the the future buyer will uh, will pay stamp duty and uh, and you will then have to pay stamp duty on your your next purchase. Uh, it's obviously only for New South Wales yep. residents at the moment. Um, and do you know what sucks about this? That if you've bought an investment property first, you're no longer eligible as an owner occupier. That's right, because you're not a first home buyer. Sucks. Well, unfortunately, that's the rules. I miss out on these things. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's the, you know, it's the reality. So um, yeah, that's why I tell all first-time buyers or first-time investors that we speak to, you should take full advantage of whatever scheme is there. Because once you are 
no longer a first home buyer, you'll never get this again. Um, so I always say like, you know, if you're a first home buyer, take advantage of the schemes that are at your fingertips without a doubt. Uh, but that's the really big news from this week. And um, like I said, I think it's gonna be great for the market. It's gonna be great for, you know, those first home buyers that haven't qualified for anything up until this point. Um, and, you know, I think if, if you've got a property that sits in that price bracket, we're probably going to see some pretty strong growth over the next yeah. you know, and 12 months. For New South Wales, that price bracket was actually the biggest to, from my experience in both like the inner west, the hills district, even the east, that I've seen price changes. I think yeah. that, that, that price bracket was the most to come off. Because you've got yeah, you've got uh, the most amount of inventory in that price mm. bracket. That's why. Um, so there you have it. Uh, number two on the agenda for today, my good friend, uh, is something that we've been talking quite a lot about. Um, and you know, I think in in a, in a rising interest rate environment, where holding costs of assets are becoming um, greater or larger. Um, it's something you really need to think about. And that is, how are we going to cash flow and hold these properties? Um, and, you know, usually the, the way that you do that is by getting rental income. And a lot of the reasons why people go and chase high yielding properties is because they don't want to have the cash drain on their you know weekly salary. They, mm. they want to be able to have the property pay for itself and it have no impact on them whatsoever. But the issue with most people and, and them chasing that and doing that is that they... They go, okay, well, I need a property that's going to yield 6% because I'm going to be paying 5% in interest and I'm going to be, you know, um, I've got a few costs along the way. So where can I find a property that's yielding 6%? And then they go and chase a location where the median yield is, say, 6%. Usually locations that have, you know, high median yields, the reason for that is because the growth hasn't been able to keep up. If the growth hasn't been able to keep up, you have to ask, well, why is someone willing to pay a lot more for the property to live in it than it costs someone to own? And that's usually because of the demographic inside of that location. Um, but what we what we need to do is go, okay, well, we're still chasing high growth properties, high growth properties or properties in strong areas. You've probably got yield somewhere between two to three and a half percent gross at the moment. So if we're looking at assets like that, you know, two and a half to three percent yield, five and a half percent interest rate plus expenses, you know, you you're 3% negative, right? Which is a lot of dough. Even when you're Jack Henderson, Yeah, huh? yeah, fuck yeah. Um, so what you need to do is go, okay, well, how can I buy an asset where I'm not going to forego any growth? Still going to you know, get strong location, going to get the uplift of the location. But then how can I make that property start paying for itself? Now, short-term Airbnb for particular assets is a great way to do that. But it doesn't work for every property. You need to have a destination asset. Um, you know, like the penthouse I own, for example, and you can do the short-term Airbnb thing. Do you get depreciation with the penthouse? Yeah. That's a good one as well. Mm. You get the best of both worlds. The best of made everything. Just Plus you get, is it a commercial, um, the, 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 car, the car space, that, that would have big depreciation on it as well. Uh, mate, don't know the answer to that. I'd have to ask MCG. Yeah, it would be, be a commercial um, fit out there. Yields, bought the penthouse, Airbnb. Yeah, or, you know, the other thing is, okay, well, we've got a property, it's got enough land at the rear to add a second dwelling. That second dwelling is going to cost X, but it's going to return Y, and that's going to make the overall yield on the property this. So in the current marketplace, we're really looking at buying assets that are still in the same locations, but have the ability for us mm. to manufacture the yield. So $800,000 property is returning let's say Three and a half. let's say 30 grand a year 600 bucks a week 30 grand a year but it's costing me 
40 grand a year to hold. So you're negative by 10,000, okay? Um, then at the rear of the property, it's got enough land for a granny flat or a second dwelling. Let's say it's a granny flat. We add the granny, cost 120. On that 120, we're getting another, let's say, 400. yeah, 400 bucks a week for the, for the granny. So now we've got $1,000 a week between the two. So you get 600 for the house, 400 for the granny. We're all in for 920. And on the 920, we're paying 5%, which is uh, about 45,000 thereabouts. 45,000 in, in mortgage repayments, but we're getting 50 odd thousand dollars in rent now. Same asset, we've added another dwelling, we've manufactured the yield, we're still gonna get really strong growth. You'll get some short-term um, you know, capital uplift because you've added the granny flat. Um, and now all of a sudden you've got a high cash flowing asset, mm. but in a high growth location. So you're getting the best of both worlds. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of investors really should look at is going, okay, well, let's not forego location. Let's not forego all the important stuff. How do we bring yield to a location? Because you can manufacture yield, but you cannot manufacture growth in a location, right? Unfortunately, if you're in a location that's not growing, you can't change that. You can renovate the house once, but that's going to give you one, you know, sugar, sugar mm. hit of, of, of capital appreciation as opposed to long-term consistent capital appreciation like we chase. So what are some of the example areas you would be looking at for these type of strategies? So the first thing that you need to do is like, oh, the locations don't change for us, right? Like we're talking within 15Ks of major CBDs. Um, you know, you can do it in the Eastern suburbs, you can do it in the inner West, you can do it in the hills, you can do it in fucking Central Coast, you can do it in Newcastle, you can do, you know, Brisbane, you can, like there's a lot of Melbourne, you can do it in a lot of locations. They look and feel different in each location. Um, but the thing you need to look at is you need to make sure that the council will actually allow a second dwelling or a studio <clears throat> on yep. the property. You need to get an understanding of what, if they do allow, what the property needs to have as features for that to be able to happen. What land size does it need? Does it need two street frontages? How wide does a frontage need to be to the street? Uh, and all the intricacies of that because you don't want to buy an asset where you think you can do it, but you can't That's do right. it. Um, and then you need to understand that there's a, dem there's a, there's a demand for the end product, right? Um, I mean, there's a rental crisis in Australia at the moment and a huge lack of rental supply. So, but you still want to be certain that you've, uh, that you've got a, a tenant for it. Um, but no brainer, you know, if you can buy high growth assets, add the granny, add manufacture some growth while you're doing that, but manufacture a lot of yield. Yeah. Uh, it's great. And then, you know, down the track, if you ever want to sell the property and you, you, you know, potentially if it's a really good property, the house might be worth more as one large block of land. So what you do is you just remove the granny flat. A lot of the time you can resell them as well um, and off you go. But you know, that's something you think about down the track. There's also a lot of the uh, portable housing, which is becoming quite popular as well. So if you look on, you know, Facebook marketplace where companies are literally giving away houses, all you gotta do is pay the delivery. Mm. That's another solution if you wanna If you actually that. wanted to add a second yeah. house to the- and uh, then flog it off when you know when you want to sell the yep. property that's another strategy for sure but jackson so like for example I, i've been looking for a client now for an established one mm -hmm. and we've been struggling to find much opportunities around that six hundred fifty thousand price point where do you see value for this type of strategy do you think the average investor has enough capacity to buying these types of properties or do you think they can get away with you know 
X budget, what, what are you seeing? So naturally the lower the price point that you have, the, the smaller the gap between the, you know, the rent and the mortgage as well, because usually yields are a little bit higher on lower price point properties. Um, but if you've got like a 650K budget and you wanted to do this strategy, then again, you're probably gonna be a little bit further away. So for this particular client, you know, we're looking in the Newcastle region or the Hunter region, um, and you're on the outskirts of, of Newcastle. But again, they're hard to find, you know? Um, but good things are hard to find. You know, we have one in, in a place called Curry Curry, which was a, a duplex side by side that had the yield, but we were too slow and we missed that. Um, you know, there's, we've seen a few that have sold in the past. Um, you know, but again, regardless of what state you're in, it's about buying in the location for your budget. And and, and for this particular client, uh, the income is very important because of this stage of the investing journey she's at, which yeah. is at the end of her investing journey. Um, whereas if you're at the start, um, I would say that growth probably a little bit more important. If you're only spending five to six hundred thousand, the gap might only be five grand a year, for example, or ten grand a year, which is not a huge gap pre-tax um, to be able to to cover. Um, so I would still be focusing on location and growth because that's what what's what's going to be able to get you into property two, three, four, and all the rest of it. That's solid. I, I like that a lot. And you can also find them where it's already done. You know, you don't have to go out there and do the granny flat or, or add the second dwelling or subdivide. You know, we bought quite a few recently where it's already done. So like one in Wall's End, 975 purchase price, two dwellings already on the property, completely separated, like in terms of fencing, or they've got their own yards, driveways, like really nicely done. Uh, that's returning 1200 a week between the two, which is like a 6.5% yield. Median yields for that location would be four. You know, so we're adding 2% by having that second dwelling. Uh, another one in Waratah, for example, 940 purchase price. Uh, that's returning 980, I think, between the two, a 550 and a 430 or something like that. Um, again, you know, five and a half, six percent yield. So uh, very, very strong. And we don't have to do it. You just move in, bang, done. Out the back. Who's your dad? Who's your father? So when you, um, and I guess that leads us on to our next point of the podcast is pest and bills. Mm. What, um, you know, we bought a property just recently for a client in Mayfield, awesome suburb in Newcastle. And one of the things that, you know, come up during the port, which would scare a lot of buyers is there was a potential asbestos shed at the back. There was areas underneath the building where you couldn't get visible access. The subfloor, we call that. The subfloor. The great subfloor. And there's a lot, a lot of things that we pick up throughout, a, whether it be a pest and build report or a strata report, yep. which... Can scare um, buyers, yeah, right? Because naturally with, with your pest and building reports or your strata reports, they're written in a way that covers the ass of the person writing the report as opposed to, um, you know, in, in, in the client's best interest, right? So for example, if they can't get access 100% to the subfloor of a house, they'll write, couldn't get visible access, please seek professional assistance or blah, 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 right? So that just says, well, we couldn't get there and we told you to seek professional assistance. So if there's something wrong, that's on you, not on us. Mm. Um, and that you'll see that with everything. Strata reports, for example, uh, at the time of doing the report, X, Y, and Z was not cited. You know, so they're writing that to indemnify themselves. Um, but a lot of people will look at building and pest reports or look at strata reports. They'll read the writing. They probably won't understand it 100%. They don't try and call the the builder or call the reporter and ask the questions they just go ah oh, fuck few issues in this one and they let it go and there's opportunity in that right if you're buying established properties in good quality locations where the houses might be 30 40 50 60 70 100 years old 
course they're going to have maintenance, mm. right? And it's a good thing to have maintenance because you can do the work yourself and then know the house is, you know, up to scratch and, and there's no uh, there's no hidden hidden uh, skeletons in the closet. But you know, looking at looking at pest and building reports, reading the reports, so you've got a basic understanding. But then also getting on the phone with the inspector is very important. You know, hey, Mister or Mrs. Inspector, what are your actual thoughts on the property? What work would you recommend that I do straight away? How much roughly do you think that costs? Um, you know, this fungal decay, for example, on the timber is that a big issue? Is that common for properties of this age? You know, asking those questions to get an understanding of how it sits in the market as opposed to all the other houses, right? Um, and, you know, I think another thing is if there's potentially some bigger issues with the property, um, that's going to scare a lot of people away. A lot of people make things out to seem worse than what they are. Um, as, as long as the house isn't falling over and there's a huge structural issue. Yeah. Um, but little things like, you know, rising damp. People get worried about rising damp, for example. Um, you know, uh, not enough ventilation in the subfloor, for example. People get scared by that. Uh, you know, Works the, need to be done to the pillars. Yeah, like all that type of stuff, which, yes, it has a cost associated with it. But if you can negotiate the price of the house down for a, a much greater amount than it's going to cost you to do the work, then that small amount of inconvenience or that small amount of work you have to do has an ROI on it, which is great. It's essentially like you know doing a reno and making some money. Yeah. Um, I actually did that for my for my purchase. I negotiated an original price, um, and then once the pest and build came through, there was circa twenty to thirty thousands worth of potential works and renovations that could be done at certain points in, of holding that asset. Like you didn't need to attend straight away to do 20 or 30 and what i ended up doing was taking that to my solicitor who then presented it to the vendor solicitor and said hey guys like i know we agreed on x amount of price but there's a circa 20 to thirty thousand dollars worth of work or renovation can you take at least meet us halfway so that's how i was able to actually get it fifteen thousand dollars off yeah the original price which a lot of buyers <sighs> would have just neglected um, exactly and they would have probably just let the property go oh, it's too much for me it's out. yeah yeah so I think uh, yeah getting an understanding firstly of what's involved whether it's common for properties of that age or not how much it's going to cost to fix what the building inspector or strata inspector's thoughts actually are um, and that's who just like and you can most of them are pretty cool with you picking up the phone and, and just saying hey guys like what are your actual thoughts on this how much money do you think it would cost for me to to fix this yeah exactly no brainer um, and there's opportunity in it and again if you're buying properties that are in need of a renovation naturally you're going to have things that need to be done to the property um, and, and again that's okay so um, mate I was going to say another thing as well about strata reports so again we, we're buying a property at the moment it's apartment we're going to do a cooling off period uh, got the strata report done because there wasn't one supplied by the agent and there was some concrete spooling uh, in the building, which again for strata buildings is fucking pretty common, you know, like these things. What's been, concrete spooling? Uh, it's just like some. Um, I don't know how to explain it. I'm not a builder, but you know, it's it's, it's something that is common with strata properties, and it's uh, like um, it's not concrete cancer, but it's a a certain disease in quotation marks that concrete concrete gets, and you can fix it, you know. Um, so that was the thing exactly we saw it bang it's going to cost what 50 grand okay sweet well 50 grand divided by 10 apartments five thousand dollars an apartment bang straight on the phone to the agent hey look this 
know, use it as leverage in a negotiation and you bring the price mm. down and then all of a sudden it's an ROI positive thing. Um, that's a prime example of that. So we're not, we're not scared off by things like that. Um, one thing that I would say though is like with sh- building inspections are good because if there is issues in this building inspection and you fix them, you can do a building inspection three weeks later and it's perfect. And they're not going to say it was just fixed. You know what mm. I mean? It's going to say the condition of the property is good. The issue with strata reports and having issues with strata is that it takes a long time to go from having strata issues to not having strata issues. Because hypothetically speaking, if there was major strata issues and you bought into the building and then sold it the year after, all of those strata issues are still going to be there, even if they're not currently relevant because the reports go back for five or so yeah, years. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I bought, I've got a couple of apartments in a building up here. And uh, if you read the strata report on that thing, like it's horrific terrible but my whole goal with that is buy the whole building and redevelop it so i don't care and another great thing about strata reports um is uh, or, or another great thing about you know investing is that when the banks value a property they don't look at the strata report you know so the bank so in, in a consumer's eyes when they look at the property they're going to value it very differently because they're going to go beautiful apartment but there's all these issues so i'm only going to pay x for it yeah. in the bank size they just look at the fundamentals of the apartment they don't look at the strata issues and they value it based on a property that's identical to it, has no strata issues. Um, you know, so actually I'm gonna talk about that as well. Uh, so yeah, like you could have strata issues, but if you plan to hold the property forever in the bank size, they don't fucking know what strata issues are. So they're gonna value your property just the same as a property that has no strata issues. So there's, again, there's opportunity in that going, let's buy a property for a couple hundred thousand dollars less because it's got strata issues. Hold it forever. Hold it for a couple of years and then revalue it. And all of a sudden they're gonna value it the same as a property that doesn't have strata issues. And all of a sudden you've made money and it you know, potentially can outweigh the, uh, the money it's gonna cost you to fix the issues. Um, on those two apartments, so I'm going through a refinance at the moment. And I had uh, had the properties valued by ANZ. They sent out some values from CBRE or something, I think. I think you actually let them into the apartment. Anyway, valuations come back. One come back at 900, paid 660 for it three years ago. Uh, the other one come back at 800, paid 710 for it 12 months ago. I was stoked with that. Anyway, went through ANZ. They didn't like the way that my trusts were structured and how I held the shares in the trust. So they said, we're not lending you the money. So I was like, oh, fuck's sake. Anyway, Bank West to them. Bank West then did an evaluation on a property. They didn't even send a value, they did a desktop. <clears throat> Within a month, the valuation went from 900 to a mil. Nothing changed in the in market, it got worst. Yeah. So, and then the other one went from uh, 800 to 900. 100 so grand more. Each property. So I made $200,000 just by going to another bank. And the lesson in that is, um, you know, what it comes down to is what lender you go with and what appetite they have for you as a customer. You know, because me, when I go to a bank, I've got a lot of lending, right? So I'm a good customer because they're gonna get a lot of, um, you know, business. Uh, so that's one thing they look at. And, and and then another thing is how they like the area, how they like the property. Um, and they give a very, very strong valuation. So being able to, when you're going for finance, if you have uh, the ability to have uh, multiple lenders that will lend to you, um, you know, getting multiple valuations done on properties to see what the maximum valuation is um, because naturally the valuation is going to be the thing that dictates how much equity you can get out of a property. And now all of a sudden I thought I was going to be able to pull out 250 out of those properties and now I can pull 400, for example, out of those properties. Same properties, just with two different valuations, um, which is crazy. So thanks that, Bank West. That's phenomenal. God bless. That's phenomenal. Um, but mate, yeah, I think that's a good episode. That was really good. 